I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So... Um, this week, Esther, we have um, two of my friends on the show, and they're very special friends because they're fashion designers. They're called Vin and Omi, and yeah. how I met them was um, when I was doing the film, Absolutely Fabulous, the costume designer, Rebecca Hale, said, I think we should use these yeah. designers to do a lot of Bubbles outfits. And um, mm-hmm. so Vin and Omi created, I think it was three outfits which were amazing in the film and then I modelled for them. I've never been a model and they allowed me to model in their show. In fact, I modelled twice for them. So I was the midget next to all the clothes horses. (laughs) You were quite small, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the introduction and this is Esther Vinanome. Hello Esther, you sound really nice. Oh, that's nice. Oh, thank you. Well, you sound very nice as well and I have been following you and, and looking at all your work and it looks so great. And of course, I'm such a fan of Ab Fab. So thanks for coming on. The bonus for having Vin and Omi on is because of their work with sustainable fashion and um, mm-hmm. environmental issues, which I thought was very in keeping with our podcast. And I believe yeah. that they know quite a bit about bees. Oh, so how's that then? Well, it's kind of thrust upon us really because hmm. we we were in London for quite a while and and previously in New York and you know just had enough of uh, the city life and also we were started to go into eco fashion and you can't really grow many crops in London it's really difficult one of our studios has got acres of woodland and uh, so Ooh. we get all sorts of everything uh, thrust upon us we've got uh, lots of lovely deer in the garden and and everything like that. Wow. And of course, we've got lots and lots of bees and flying things. So every year we get the swarms, and they usually Ooh. settle. They usually settle in the roof. Uh, oh. They seem to go back to the roof, which is fine. Some some years they stay there, and some years they don't. If they if they go to the wrong place, then we'll we'll get them nudged along somewhere. But they usually stay there. But we also have lots and lots of hornets. Now, oh, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what you feel about hornets, but some year they're fine and some years mm. they're bloody horrible. They, they swarm oh, and God. they attack and they dive bomb. And contrary to whatever people say, they do eat bees. Yeah, and they do. They do. And we've witnessed them chomping away through bees. And so, you know, I mean, we love nature. <laughs> we don't normally do anything about anything. But hornets, we draw a line. And I think it was <laughs> about six, seven years ago, the dogs started to get attacked by them, and they were hundreds <gasps> and hundreds of hornets. These big bloody oh my things God. dive bombing the dogs, and we've got two big lab or had two big Labradors, and they were covered in the things. So 
We couldn't work oh, out where they God. were coming, fr coming from. And what we found was, we heard this, no, what it was, I was sitting on the loo one day and this dripping came oh. down from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, and it was <laughs> yeah. straight, up, straight above the loo and it was, I was covered in this yellow <laughs> crap. And it was, what they'd done was they'd built a, a five and a half foot hive in the attic, these hornets. Wow. And, and oh it was dripping God. through the bathroom ceiling. So my shoulders are too wide to go up into the attic. So my we pushed my little dad up there. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and the hive was as Yeah, my little dad. Oh so my. He's about your height, Jane. He's, he's great. And he's great for attics and chimneys and things. So we, we pushed him up there. As <laughs> he, he long as he's useful for something. We thought, you know what? People would miss us if we, we got stung every day. Yeah, we're you. He's so not, you go. Yeah. <laughs> so he went. So we pushed him up there. And he, you know, in his in his northern twang, he said, you know, it's 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 a bloody massive thing. And it was like, um, you know, it was this five and a half foot hornet's bloody nest, which was oh my really God. hard to get rid of. So at the same time that we love bees, and we've got tons of bees, lots of different types of bumblebees. Mm -hmm regular big, big, big uh, swarms of honeybees. And we've also got so many uh, uh, hornets. So, you know, mm. what did we do? I thought, well, I don't like killing things, but we did put out wasp and hornet traps. But then, yeah. luckily, 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 across the road, we've got enormous conifers in, in the next uh, field. And moving mm. into the conifers was a honey buzzard that eats oh. hornets. Now, we didn't yeah. know that it ate hornets, but then I caught it one day on the floor in this hornet sort of pit or wherever they live, and it was just <laughs> noshing, noshing on the hornets. Oh. So we've actually got a predator for the hornets, which is great, mm. and we've kind of got a bit of an eco-balance on the go now, so we don't have to kill too many hornets because the, the honey buzzard mm. dives down and eats the life out of us. So that's great. But what, oh so, so how do you get the honey buzzard into the loft? No, 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 no. Sorry, that, you're right. There's no continuity in that story. No, 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 no. The high, that's that. That's a very good question. No. With, with neon signs and arrows, with neon signs, neon signs yeah. and arrows, and a map. It's got a map. <laughs> yeah. No, no. The the ones in the, the yeah. ones in the loft we threw away. You know, we got rid of those. Not oh, you even did. Humanely. Yeah, yeah. They had right. to be pulled out by my dad's fair hands. What um, was the yellow um, stuff oh that was coming down on top of you? I don't know. I don't know whether they don't produced. Know. I don't know what they produced, but it was horrible. Well, it, it would be their sort of equivalent of, of you know, of nectar, honey, oh. or it would have been like a, a sort of paste. It would have been a paste that they feed their yeah. young. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, and there's still a stain yeah. on our bathroom ceiling. Because we're, oh, we're busy, oh. we can't we can't redecorate. Oh, we're too busy. Hornet stand. Yeah. <laughs> but the honey buzzard is is great for going around the woods and eating the hornets. So that's brilliant. The other bee story is our our mate Debbie Harry that we work with a lot uh, has got oh. hives. She's got her own Brilliant. hives. She's passionate about bees and named their tour. Their last major tour was called Pollinator. And we, we made the, the, the bee-inspired capes for her um, 
tour. And uh, we did a lot of eco sort of things for her on stage that she could wear uh, to sort of promote the the bee, really. She's great fun, and I think I think she's got a, a really English sense of humor. So I think it's lost in the states. So when she was uh, in in town many years ago, and she was in Sheffield, and she had a day off, and she said, and we got to the hotel. She says, "Look, I got a day off. Why don't we hang out?" And we, I said, you know, we say, "Yeah, right. Let's let's do that." So. When we got to Sheffield, it was gay pride. So we said to her, say, look, listen, you know, we're not going to go out of the hotel because you're going to be swamped. It's gay pride. Yeah. And she really wanted to eat wagamama. So she says, I tell you what, I'll go up and disguise myself and nobody will know who I am. <laughs> and so we thought, all right, do that. She went back upstairs and just, just to annoy us, she came down in a full red leather catsuit with a red leather hat. <laughs> And me and Vin just looked at her and went, no. And we ran off. And the minute she stood up in the hotel, of course, she got swamped. And we left her there. We thought, well, you asked for it. <laughs> she, just, she just got swamped by the gays. And we were just going, well, you know she what? Wanted she wanted it. Good luck. Yeah. She wanted to be with the gays. She wanted to be with the gays. Both of you, it would be really good to hear about your fashion and what uh, your sustainable fashion and what you use in terms of what, how you make your clothes? Well, I think it started with our uh, many years ago, probably early uh, 2000s, with just really thinking about what goes into clothes and textiles. And um, it started with our work with ocean and river plastic that we turned into a thing called RPET textile, uh, which is really a type of polyester made from collected waste plastic. And... We were just horrified at what the chugged up plastic was doing to the rivers and the oceans. And and in our own way, we started schemes to collect this and then turn it into, uh, you know, really good textile. And we worked a lot in Asia because uh, of Omi's connections in Asia. And uh, it was very hard to get the manufacturing plants to just do our small orders of recycling but we managed to get there and we've managed to do that now in 40 different schemes around the world where we're turning waste materials into plastic and that's eco in the way that it's cleaning up the place and use it reusing it and you know some argue why put plastic back into uh, the fashion system well you know what there's nowhere else to put it it only goes into mm. landfill so yeah. uh, rather than it going straight into landfill we work with uh, schemes and we've set up a lot of schemes to to do that and uh, and, and on plastic, we were working uh, actually with Debbie and uh, uh, the, an organization called the Riverkeeper Organization in New York that cleans up the Hudson River. And we're just finishing a project with them where we've taken the, the plastic from the Hudson River, turned it into textile, turned it into shirts, which we then give back to the workers of the uh, organization Ooh. that clean up the river. It's like a big circular project. And so that was kind of one thing we were doing with plastic. But really, our hearts was in were in nature and, and uh, eco-textiles mm. and organic textiles. So... And it really dawned on us that, you know, th there's so much that goes into this very precarious business. Um, and we thought that something needs to change, you know, to, 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 to combat this environmental impact that we're, we're, we're doing. And that was early 2000s. And I remember one day we got this call and they say from this organization, this national organization, and they say, well, you've really been looking at your work and we wanted to give you a science scholarship. And, and it slowly evolved into a very simple language that the only way forward with fashion was not man-made materials, but 
what the environment could give us rather than what we can extract for the environment for fashion. Yeah. So rather than yeah. dictating to the environment saying, you know, we need, you know, 100 meters of cotton, why not let the environment tell us what they can give us opposed to what we're harvesting? Because there's hmm. too many fashion brands out there. Just, the industry is so huge that the extraction is, is causing a lot of carbon emission, carbon footprint. And so Absolutely. very much yeah. earlier on, we were, we were called hippies and we, were, we weren't taken very serious with, with our research. Started with waste, you know, like waste that we saw. We saw the impact on environments around the world and we thought, right, let's do something about that. Let's get involved and see how we can use that waste. We've then, we've looked at different, whenever we see a pileup of waste, for example, one year we took all the, the plastic bottles from Men's Fashion Week and turned it into garments for Women's Fashion Week so we can show an industry what they can actually do. So that's one thing with plastic. One thing, we, and we took uh, lots of cans from the streets of Birmingham and turned it into a very fine metal fabric. Uh, it's called a Binter Body Project. Uh, and it's called a Can to Catwalk Project, that one is, where uh, the homeless in Birmingham were that signed up with us uh, and wanted to earn a bit of extra money. They, they helped us collect cans and we gave them a wage. We still do. Yeah, oh, we still fantastic. work with them and, and the social Amazing. services in Birmingham. Uh, and uh, it gave them a bit of sort of something to do that was a bit, you know, not too sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, organised, so it would fit into their lifestyle and what they wanted to do. And, and, and it was really great, it was really rewarding to sort of have a circular project where we're actually tidying up an area, giving somebody some money and actually providing a new material for the, for the catwalk. It was, it, that was a great project uh, in terms of uh, feeling good. And, uh, and then we've moved on very heavily into natural uh, products and, and very heavily into plant-based textiles and looking at different ways in which nature can provide textiles for us without impacting on nature. So any crops that we grow, uh, we grow uh, uh, flax here, have to be sort of uh, easy on the environment, has to be planted with lots of different natural plants there for the bees and the wildlife. And we, 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 ha we don't sort of overcrop, that's one thing we do. But then we've moved mm -hmm. into looking at other plants like mushrooms and chestnuts. And I know you collect mushrooms, Esther. So, um, yeah. so how can mushrooms... Are you saying that you use mushrooms for clothing? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't think you've, mm. I don't think you've worn any of, uh, of that on any of our shows when you've modelled, Jane. But we do a, a mushroom leather. Uh, which is Ooh. like a, it's almost like a, almost like a chamois leather consistency. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, and it's, it's about dehydrating and compressing, but we've had to start to develop tree mushroom, uh, sort of in our woods, we, we just kind of plant spores and we're growing tree mushrooms and they're quite meaty and thick and we can dehydrate them mm. and compress them. And in the same way with chestnuts, we use the outer skin, uh, you know, the spiny bits Ooh. of the horse yeah. chestnuts. Now, though, though the horse chestnut skins go to waste and uh, they're lying on the ground and it's, it's low impact on the environment uh, if we take some of those and compress those into a leather type material. And we, we just see things lying around and think, right, how can we use that? And in the same mm. way, we, we, uh, we were talking to, um, well, not as you do, but we were talking to Prince Charles when we met him at, a, at, a, at some do. And uh, he said, uh, well, you know, you work with nettles. He said, I've got tons of nettles and in my uh, uh, in Highgrove. And we thought, yeah, that's that's the thing. Let's look at big estates around the country and 
what they do with their waste natural products because they're, they're forever sort of cutting things down and, and mm -hmm. throwing na natural materials away, pruning things. Since, since the conversation we had with Tim, which we never expected, and then we got a letter from him saying, what do you pop down to high growth uh, for a little waddle around the garden? And, and it was, <laughs> it was really amusing. He didn't say waddle. Uh, he yeah. said, let's, do a, let's do a waggle dance. Yeah. Down, down yeah. waggle yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we, we went down there and, and obviously we don't fit in because I went there in a dress. And it was, yeah, to it pick was, nettles, was, that was really practical, Omi. Yeah, with, with pink marigolds. I hope, you, I hope you had some tights on as well. Probably not. No, no knickers. Never, never wear knickers under dresses. No. Too much information. But not even when you're picking nettles. Oh, no, definitely not when there's cute policemen standing behind you. Oh, <laughs> So we, 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 we wanted to make it a whole experience so we got oxford university students oxford brooks university students on a bus and we took them down and you know they were harvesting but before that for a year we were studying the biodiversity around high growth and what impact it would do if we were to harvest you know two thousand three thousand nettles what what would that mean uh, mm. because normally they just decompose on 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 the spot so there was a lot of education and, and research and data collection around there and and the results were fun. And I think also we have to understand nettle fabrics are ancient. It's one of the oldest ways of making clothes is through wow. nettles. And it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm crap at history, but whenever, it's, it's a long time ago. And it, what you do is the nettle, you pick the nettles, you take the leaves off. So it's the stem that you're interested in. And the stem contains fibers running throughout the central stem. And what you do is you, you ret it or rot it uh, mm. in, the dew, in the dew. So you pick off the leaves and you lay these stalks of nettles out on, a, on dewy grass. So it's the mm. dew that actually just sort of slightly decomposes the outer skin so you can work with it a lot, a lot more easily. And then you strip back the outer layers and you've got these fine threads running through the middle of the nettles that you can then weave or work with. And it's, mm. it's a very delicate process to get the rotting of the outer shell right and to actually strip it down right. There's lots of different ways of doing it. But the traditional way of making clothing is to spin these long, thin threads into a fibre that you then use as you would with wool or anything else. But that mm. is very, very time-consuming and laborious. So what, what we did was we, we invented, in effect, a new fabric in the way that we didn't weave it in the same way that uh, you do uh, in, in, in history. We've, we've developed a, a bonding mechanism which comes from a very natural uh, glue, which, is, which actually comes from the plant. And we've actually found a natural glue that we can use through heat and bonding the fabric. And we found an ozone uh, way of bleaching the, the green out of the nettles. So it becomes a very bland sort of uh, tool that we can then naturally dye again, uh, re-dye it. So it, it turns into quite a fluffy fabric rather than a, a tight, harsh, woven, sacking type ancient fabric. This is more of a fluffy sort of woven, uh, fluffy sort of fabric, a bit like wool, but a bit tighter. A and bit we, mohair. Yeah, we made that yeah. into... 
I think we ended up with about 20 garments that we put on the catwalk a couple of seasons ago. And the V&A have taken some of them into their archive, which is nice. And we're mm. so the effort to make a new fabric is really complex because, you know, you have to think outside the box and try loads and loads of things. And the same with mushroom and chestnut leather. You make heaps of mistakes. You know, you, mm. you'll, 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 put a, you'll put a garment on someone, it'll rain and it'll dissolve. We're like, oh, yeah, it's not waterproof. <laughs> what, about, <laughs> what, about, what about honey? What about honey? Could, could you make a garment out of honey? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's a task. Would you wear it if we did? <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I think the idea around fashion has to biodegrade naturally. And one of the one of the, the main things is it's you know if if tomorrow everyone stops making clothes, for example, all the brands and all of us say, right, you know, we're not producing any more stuff. We have actually mm. enough clothes on the planet to last us six yeah. generations and yes. then some. So the the idea around what Finn and I are doing is clothes that will biodegrade. So currently our latex uh, garments biodegrade, we managed to bring it down to 12 years. So the, the entire garment, you could, you could actually chuck it in your garden and it just biodegrades in 12 years. There's no oh synthetic material. Oh my God, material, that's no amazing. So with, when things like this happen, obviously cost becomes an issue because you're, you're, you're buying something really expensive for that you can't keep forever but then yes what what sort of price tag do you put on the planet to save the planet mm. but in order for that to happen the fashion industry needs to be transparent which they're not but if you have if you have cheap cheap um you know sort of places like primark which are selling clothes very very cheaply um and your income is not massive then you naturally would probably gravitate towards places like that because if you've Absolutely. got to clothe your family, then yeah, that, that is where you might want to shop. And I think, Jay, yeah. you hit the, 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 the key, the, the, the point again. We're not talking to get rid of the high street. The high street brings in, you know, 30 billion a year uh, of revenue to, to the industry. So, and you cannot tell people how to wear and what to wear. What, what we're saying to people is, if you can't afford a Dior dress and you go to Primark, buy one. You don't have to mm. buy 10 because it's at mm. seven pounds. Buy one and then, you know, wear it till it dies and then and think then, about then repair it. Repair can I repair it? Can I rework it? Can I update yeah. it? That that's the key. I suppose it's it's the, the the thing is getting those big brands on board, aren't they? Because you know they have yeah. the um, the financial capacity to be able to make 
sustainable clause, don't they? I mean, they, they, yeah. they could invest in making sustainable clause. Yeah, we do a lot of consultation with mm. the big brands across the board. And it's it's not about them changing overnight and, and bowing down to the pressure that they're under. It's it's about them making the changes that they can and really educating the consumers. And mm. I think I think if there's a buying uh, public that, that wants something, then, then the industry will change. So it's a slow process. I mean, we're sort of like doddering around sort of doing little experiments and creating our own collections that are a real composite of hybrid fabrics, eco-fabrics, recycled stuff. Um, and, and then the bigger brands have got to change their ways. And they're working out uh, with our help and other consultants are helping them sort of to shift change, you know, as much as possible. And their advertising campaigns have to change. The whole process mm -hmm. has to change. And, and I think the more we keep pecking at them and the more Esther keeps uh, collecting mushrooms and telling everybody about the beauty <laughs> of nature, we'll actually get there, you know. I just wanted to mention, we, we learned about this little bee, me and Jane, from um, a guest who came on called the wool carder bee, and it collects wool off these uh, lamb's ear plants. It's like a fluffy leaf. You probably come across it. It's like a, right. a very soft ear. It feels like an ear of a, of a little mouse or a lamb. Oh. And the, the, the bee, this little wool carder bee, it collects all the fibres, and it makes like a lovely little wool bed, and then it lays its eggs, and then it... it <laughs> it's, um, um, and and it's so sweet. And I was thinking about that today. I thought, oh, if you were going to make a little outfit for a bee, what do you think you'd, you'd make it out of? You'd be a stump now. Thanks for that one, We're making clothes for bees now. It would have to be practical and it would have to yes. have pockets. Mm, it would. I mean, what we like to do is to make something that, that people would wear again and again. Now, mm. Carter B would want a little pocket and a matching <laughs> rucksack so it can actually carry more than it normally would. You know, you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't put it in something impractical, would you? I think also some gloves. Yeah, yeah, gloves would be good, but I think I think pockets and, and, and a, a little accessory rucksack would be key. The little rucksacks would Ooh. definitely be definitely be made out of recycled honey pots. Oh <laughs> <laughs> very tiny ones. Yeah, tiny ones. Yeah, 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 little tiny ones. I feel the project coming on now. And you know what? If it was, if it didn't fit them, would they be able to send it back to you? Is that, are oh, you yeah, talking yeah, we, about we're... yourself here? Is, is this what you do? <laughs> You're the one that returns to Marks and Spencers every week with a garment that you've worn once. Bees would keep it, Esther. They wouldn't return it. Not everyone's like <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that um, at, the, at the end of the winter, there's always a big pile of dead bees in the hive because all, through the winter, all the dead bees just die and they don't like they don't clean them out the hive, you know, until the spring. Yeah. So there's always like a big clump of bees. And I was imagining, oh, you know, I wonder if you could like make something out of all their little wings and their little bodies. We possibly could. We possibly could. We possibly could. Yeah. Do you want to send yeah. us some? And then we could experiment. Yeah, well, I could send you some, couldn't send I? Send us a bucket of bees and we'll see what we come up yeah. with. Yeah. 
We'll see what All we those come drones, up with. Esther. At least they've come to some use. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you've got to wear it if we make it, Esther. Oh, yeah. well, yes. Yeah, well, I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very yeah. much, guys. That was brilliant. Oh, it was so good. Thank you for Thank coming you. on and sharing all your amazing stuff. Well, it's a bit wow. random, sorry, wow. but it's like we are a bit random. It's an education. I was going to say before we um, finished off, well, you've just come up with a great idea of, um, of the dead drones and utilising the dead drones. Um, but, um, you know, when we spoke um, about making our bra range, um, this yeah, wouldn't yeah. suit you, Esther, because you are well endowed in the bosom area. Yeah, this, this, brand, yeah. This, this, yeah. this brand is called Titless or Titless. Um, so Titless. And do you think, you know, your, your three wonderful creative brains involving bees, how, how could you make a, a, a bra for a small-breasted woman out of something from bees? Mm. I think that's a oh, good challenge. That's I think, challenge. I think that's a really good challenge. Yeah. I think there's possibilities, and I think I think what we need to do as well is to to really enhance the bra to lift the sting on on the inside. Yeah, on the inside, so so it pierces the nipples. Yeah, and then <laughs> it, it, it swells up your tits, so it's a dual thing. <laughs> All right, okay. So that that sounds a good. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, boot plumper. <laughs> exactly. I could be like Katie Price by the end. <laughs> yeah, you could. It could be called B Cup. Oh, it could very be. good. Yeah, very, very good. Very good. <laughs> oh, that's very good. No, thank you for having us. That was a lot more fun than our other ones we do. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much we really enjoyed thank that you. thank you okay then all bye. right bye. big love bye bye thank you bye bye, bye big love bye, bye. thank you bye. Uh. how do we sign out yeah because we, we, we can't gossip about you if you can hear us <laughs> 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 Queen Bees is written and created by Esther Coles and Jane Horrocks. It is produced by Claire Broughton and Andy Goddard and partly recorded at The Hives on my allotment near Crouch End in London. Our title music is Sweet Nothing by Amy Mae Ellis and Will Cookson. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Queen Bees Pod for pictures and videos from The Hive. Queen Bees is a hat-trick podcast. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 